His name is Heston Blumenthal. He's licked, sniffed and poked his way across the culinary spectrum, questioning everything about how we cook and eat and gaining six Michelin stars along the way. And now he's invited us all along for the ride. My name's Jay Taylor, I've been Heston's TV producer for many years and I'm now your host as we join him on a voyage of food discovery. And on today's show, if you're intolerant, please look away now as we're diving into a big vat of milk. Yes, exploring all the secrets of the versatile, sometimes controversial, bovine donated liquid that has become so much part of our lives. So without further ado, let's meet our very own gold top delivering milkman, Heston Blumenthal. Hello, Heston. You milked that enough, Jay, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, sorry, guys, that's so bad, but at least it can only get better from that. <laughs> from Pull there. the other one. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, nice one. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, I'm very well, thank you, Jay. How are you? <laughs> I am I am Tresbian. At Tresbian. Thank you. Talking of milking it, James. <laughs> I'm, I'm very good too, thank you. <laughs> I had, that had nothing to do with anything, talking of milking it. it was just, now, yeah. we, we've had we've had correspondence. And once again, the Down Under gang have got in touch. They're noisy, that lot down there. And this is following on from the podcast we did a few weeks ago about ice cream. And do you remember we started talking about ice cream floats and then the Aussie spiders, which was their version yep. of an ice cream float? So uh, we were curious what they're all about. Well, a couple of people have got in touch. First of all, Bryn. Bryn's got in touch. Uh, he says, my favourite spider was a blue heaven spider. It was pretty much just lemonade with blue heaven colouring flavouring in it with vanilla ice cream. This was always once a week or two treat. Then we went to the cafe at the shopping centre, closely followed by a scotch and coke spider, which tasted way better than I thought it would. This was made for me by a friend of mine working at the cafe to cheer me up one day. So I'm not sure if he was a child when he was having the coke and scotch one or if this was a later later experience from him. But these spider things seem to be a, a thing down under, right? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And also also we had a uh, llama moose. I mm. presume that's their No, llama mouse, sorry. I'm sure that's their actual name. Uh, down under here too, my memory is of my grandma pouring lime Schweppes, which is fluoro green and no limes were hurt in the process, from a glass bottle into a glass with vanilla ice cream, mixing it with a long spoon so it mixes a little, and then drinking it all the way out in little slurps. That's quite lovely. That. That's, That's a sort of cream sodas, isn't mm. it? You get that. Well, we'll touch on it on this um, on 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 today's chat, but that um, it's the effect of lactic acid because because uh, malic acid, for example, is in apples. Um, citric acid is in citrus fruits. Lactic acid is 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 in milk and cream, and also in wine. So lactic, if you smell, you can buy lactic acid powder. If you smell it, it actually smells kind of milky and creamy, and that's the lactic acid. And there's a, there's a thing in winemaking called the malolactic fermentation, where naturally the fermentation, when, they, when you ferment, you, you, you get your grapes and you, you, you de-stem them and then you pummel them up and, and then you, the, the, it goes through a natural process called malolactic fermentation. So the lactic or malic acids turn into, you get more lactic acids developing. And so when you sometimes taste a, I don't know, you taste white wine, Chardonnay, for example, and it can taste creamy, that's as a result of the malolactic fermentation. Now it's quite funny. I, I, before I remember trying to explain to my missus and and my daughter and and, and maybe a dinner table, you're trying to explain it, um, the, the malolactic to to people. Sometimes it's like seeing a bloke trying to explain the offside rule to a woman <laughs> who's not 
remotely interested in football and the bloke's sort of semi-pissed at the same time. It's quite funny. <laughs> is that the same lactic acid that you get in your legs when you do exercise yeah. to build it, Yes, it's exactly the same. Exactly the same. And when you talk about things like cream sherries, um, some a cream, they normally mix, uh, maybe to an Oloroso, they might add a Pedro Jimenez, which is a very sweet sherry or a Moscatel. And, and, and though they have a high level of lactic, lactic acid or malolactic. So you get a more creamier flavor. And in fact, you can, you can do, if you put, um, compass look at the old um, syllabubs, where you'd put milk on fruit juice or wine or something, and then the acid would turn, would turn the milk and you could froth it up. So the, the old syllabub had sort of, fr- a bit like a cappuccino, you had froth on the top, froth and curdly bits, and then the liquid underneath. And in fact, you've got... A syllabub? The, I've never heard syllabub. of that. What's a syllabub? Yeah, that, well, exactly that, where, you, where you, you can either pour milk onto, onto wine or fruit juice, something with acidity, and it, and it curdles. And so you end up, it's sort of like curds and whey, you know, you, you've got two parts to it. Or you can do it with cream and, and whisk the cream. <clears throat> and then when you put it in a glass, you'll have the froth on the top and the liquid underneath. And you have these old syllabub glasses, which have like a spout. So just think of, just think of a, an upside down elephant and trunk. You know, the spout, like a teapot, it would come up. So you'd spoon the foam off the top and then you could drink through the, you'd drink the liquid underneath through a, through a spout. There oh, was a theory that you milked the uh, or some story that you milked the cow into the bucket of the wine or the fruit juice directly and the froth would that would help froth it up but apparently that's a, an old wives tale have you ever drunk milk straight from the the cow's udder i actually i remember for uh in search of perfection show not our christmas spe- this is because we met didn't film in the christmas special didn't we before we did. that in that in search of perfection christmas special before that i did a show where um I can't remember. It was, it, it must have been, it was, I can't remember the subject. It was either trifle or, it involved anyway, ice cream. So I went, we went to a local farm in near Bray and I milked a cow into liquid nitrogen and made the fastest udder to ice cream, ice cream. It was, it <laughs> took less than a minute. I managed to do it. So I've, I've milked and, and I remember. What the cow make of that? Honestly, what is he <laughs> looking back at you going, what are you doing? I think, quite happy just you have to be careful not to where you stand in case they have a pee get a bit messy but i also we were we were together when we were in um oman and we milked a camel got camel camel milk remember oh that and was that lovely, really frothed up that milk yeah it was just had to pick the camel hairs out of my teeth but that was the milk was lovely it was really rich <laughs> and then we went all the way to siberia to milk a reindeer Oh, um, and it was minus trip. 40 it was so cold I remember these couple of drops coming out I'm <laughs> thinking oh. um, when those reindeers this- came out of that forest all covered in like snow obviously I was in heaven because every shot looked incredible but then trying to get milk out of different things because it was so high in fat wasn't it because it kept them that's, yes. they needed high fat really? content I mean, because they were cold reindeer milk is, is lovely I mean it's really it's very creamy it makes, it makes great ice cream and are we allowed to say that we smuggled it back into Britain <laughs> Well, no. well, we've already. Can we get, <laughs> <laughs> I think Can we get retrospectively soon. I think, no, I don't think so. 
<laughs> no, then we definitely didn't. We definitely didn't smuggle it back into Britain because we definitely didn't need to get some kind of health and safety thing uh, to no, feed it to celebrities over here. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about, Jay. No, exactly. We're completely in the clear on that front. That's fine. <laughs> and the BBC will never find us again. <laughs> uh, so yes, obviously, we've already dived into our our subject today, which is which is milk, which is as we've touched on, is a very wide-ranging place to play and obviously something i know in the intro I sort of mentioned it's controversial but it's certainly something it feels like more and more people are sort of forsaking now and going dairy free across the spectrum how in terms of your relationship with milk obviously i appreciate it's all pervading in the kitchen but is it something from a young age you you liked to drink milk because i drank tons of it in the west country well i well firstly i do i I know i've mentioned this story before but it's very relevant when we were filming on the cutty sark and on the uh, standing on the deck pouring with rain i was making some recipe on a little electric plug-in hob and you got your head in the camera, and I don't what, don't remember what the recipe was, but you just I don't it was like it was really rainy and wet, and somehow that remind I think that reminded you of water, so you just your head popped up and you just said randomly said a glass of water last night, it's all right, isn't it? <laughs> and I remember looking at you thinking he's being serious, isn't he? I've never really drunk water I've always drunk milk in my defense the, the water <laughs> in the west country was awful I mean it just tasted terrible and uh, yeah it's exactly that I, I grew up drinking skimmed milk by the pint is that why queen um queen I can't remember which queen it was drank sort of eight pints of beer a day because at that time the water in London was so bad it was actually healthier to drink beer. There you go. You see, um, I have royal blood coursing through my veins. So, yeah, no, I, I have a long, friendly relationship with well, milk. Well, if you milk, think human beings stuff. do, what, what, what would happen to most mammals without milk? If you think about That's it, when we're, when we're yeah. born, and in fact, you know, we've talked about different tastes, so sweet, sour, salt, bitter, and umami, um, which is glutamic acid. Or it's what MSG is, and Parmesan has it, and tomatoes has it. It's 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 a very sort of it's not salt, it's not sweet, it's not sour, it's not bitter. It's called the fifth taste, and the Japanese have celebrated this for for years. And as I said, things like Parmesan, uh, Parmesan cheese, shiitake mushrooms, soy sauce, tomatoes. They they have they have very high levels of 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 umami. One of the highest levels of umami is breast milk, the colostrum, the, the, the first bit of breast milk. And there's a, there's a, a theory that, um, fairly well-believed theory now, that uh, that breast milk contains, as well as being very high in umami, it's very high in oxytocin. And oxytocin is the hormone of empathy and bonding. So the action of the, 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 the baby suckling for the breast milk helps create... A very ma- a massive bond and a few years ago some very interesting experiments where because the first one of the, fir- the first two senses to develop in the womb in vivo are the sense of sound so the vibrational effects of the, the for the for the for, the, for the, the, the the unborn baby and the sense of taste or rather smell through the amniotic fluid so they did they did various they've done various experiments on this to show that uh the food that the mother eats has quite a major impact on the flavor pef- preferences of the baby. And some of that flavor can be passed through, through breast milks. They've done it with chili. They've done it with um, 
um, fennel. They've done it with lots of lots of different things. And then the babies, the way the mum ate a sp- uh, um, higher quantities of a specific ingredient, maybe garlic, for example, the baby would then have preferences for 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 that flavour. From that's from incredible, birth. isn't it? So I've seen yeah. that with my kids. Definitely, there's certain tastes that my wife has, very specific ones that have definitely been passed on to them. The idea yeah. that they can transfer <clears throat> that is. I suppose, obviously, they are sharing the same diet when the baby's growing. But still, the fact yeah. that they have this ability to pass it through through the milk once they're born as well is yeah. it's the power of it. Because dairy, we always say dairy, that's obviously cow milk, right? But there's so many different milks across the spectrum. What are we... In this, well, m- are we m- just talking... Mammalian milk, which, is, mm. which evolutionary-wise is, in, is an incredibly, incredibly fundamental part of... of, of, of of evolutionary nourishment um then you know the 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 new wave sort of trend for soy milk almond milk hemp milk oat milk etc 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 but a lot of these aren't that they don't have lactose so they don't really have this they don't have the lactic acid that, that that dairy milk has and in fact there's some a friend of mine um a friend of mine was the he's amazing um mark mark thomas professor mark thomas who um i suppose you call him an evolutionary geneticist the whole thing of lactose intolerance was his sort of discovery and um and that's really to do with uh having the enzyme because an enzyme is something that breaks down proteins so the enzyme lact uh, lactase that, that that breaks down the proteins to make it digestible so this this new wave trend of of drinking other milks they're not technically milks because if you make soy milk i mean i love i, I drink a lot of oat milk a lot hemp milk hemp milk i i love um but if you try and some of them if you try and for example make a coffee with you can see it's actually it's that you you what you do is you put the 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 um, the soybean or the almond or the hazelnut or whatever it is you put it in water you hydrate it in water let it soak in water then blitz it and pass it so you get that you get a milk but it's 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 not milk in the way that dairy milk is milk so it doesn't behave in the same way some of these milks can froth and some of them you can't froth so the the frothing um element the proteins in the milk there's a compounds in the, in milk called lipids and there are many other things and a lipid has one end of the molecule loves water the other end of the molecule hates water so think of it think of a think of a like like a pen i've got the cap of my pen for example hates water but the the the, the end the base of my pen loves water so the um, um, the hydrophilic end is the water loving, and the uh, hydrophobic end is the is the is the um, water hating. So the end that hates the water, they all get together. So like imagine a group of people carrying up in a ball, and the ends that love the water go out. So imagine a, a, a like a, a wheel with loads of spokes, like a bicycle not a bicycle wheel, but just a wheel, loads of spokes coming out. Yeah. from the center so the center is all the all the the ends of those lipids that hate water and the outside are the ones that love water and you have a sphere and you have a bubble right that's how you then you in order to get those bubbles you either need to heat or agitate the liquid so in the case of milk you put water vapor you steam through the milk and then the fat actually there might not be lipids actually phospholipids 
they're phospholipids. Sorry, so go, just to, for, to, to correct, I said lipids with the water loving and hating um, ends to them. Actually, they're phospholipids. The lipids in the milk are fats. So when you heat your milk at over 40 odd degrees, those lipids, those fats melt. So you know how oil and water doesn't mix? Yeah. So when the fat, those lipids, the fat element in the milk melts, you've got all these bubbles that, that won't all clump together to form one big bubble because the liquid fat st- stops them. Just like a, you know, like a oil and water doesn't mix. So, yeah. but then if you keep on heating the milk over a certain temperature, you break the bubbles, you burst the bubbles, you kill um, the, the effect of those phospholipids. And then it also develops some sulfurous compounds, which milk has quite a lot. I'm just going to pause there for a second because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking this is all well and good, but what if I'm abroad and I want to order some milk? Imagine the situation. You can't ask for it in the foreign lingo. Well, luckily, one of our sponsors is here to help. Yes, we want to tell you all about a company called Babbel, who are supporting us on this podcast and we thought you might be interested in. Babbel teaches real-life conversations and you learn them through interactive dialogues. Speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent and lessons are lovingly created by over a 100 language experts. These are real people and not by a translation machine. So you learn useful vocabulary and not meaningless phrases and I've tried it. It's really easy. Babbel's recently launched their own learning podcasts, so once you finish listening to ours, you can brush up on your Spanish or French while cooking or exercising. And with Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian and German. The teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. And the good news is Babbel is available as an app or online, and your progress is synced across all the devices, so you can do it when you're commuting or when you're at home. And right now, Babbel is offering all our listeners six months free with a purchase of six months subscription, just using the promo code HESTON. So you can crack on learning a new language right now. Just go to babbel.co.uk forward slash play and use the promo code HESTON on your six month subscription to get six months for free. That's babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.co.uk forward slash play, promo code HESTON. Right, let's get back to the milk. We've got Harold coming on next week, which I'm yes, indeed, very, Harry, very excited very about. Exciting. Our first so, guest on the podcast first, and a special yeah. guest as well. And uh, his new book, which is unbelievable, called Nosedive. I just found, I looked, um, what I thought, what does he have to say about milk? And um, he actually says that raw cow's milk is fruity, sweet, sulfurous, waxy, mushroomy, musty and cowy. And um, and the more we use the word cowie, cowie, yeah. is cowie actually a word? I don't know, it is now, it's in Harold's books. It's <laughs> um, I love when academics use words like that, that's fantastic. Cowie. And so, when you when you heat it, you you accentuate that 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 um, the sulfurous aromas in the milk. So, that's why when you froth the milk for coffee, for example, you don't really want to go more than 65 degrees, otherwise, you you start you start to cook more the, the 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 elements of the milk that then develop this sulfurous compound it is remarkable actually how i just i was frothing some this morning and just how much extra volume you get when you start agitating it and passing heat through it is it remarkable yeah. but also like you say it's quite a it's it's a delicate balance to strike where once it goes over you end up falling off the other side and it or it it's it, and also within within just a simple dairy milk like from a cow 
Yeah. Would you say that there's large varieties that you can get in in the milk from a cow, depending on breed and age of cow and where they come from, and all sorts of different things like that? Yeah. Does it I mean, I'm not. I'm. I'm not. I'm. I don't know a lot about that area, but yes, it would. It, it definitely makes. It would definitely make a difference. The richness of the milk, the fat levels. I mean, you've seen. I know that it depends on. For many things, I guess. Um, you know, if 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 uh, even the climate. I suppose well, buffalo I buffalo milk, right, is something that's used. Well, yeah, bu- it. well, mozzarella, yeah, yeah, and, and buffalo is, buffalo is, milk is not as high as reindeer and and sort of camel milk, but it's a lot higher in fat than your, yes, your Frisian dairy cow. So obviously that's going to affect flavour, <clears> mouthfeel, everything. Yeah. How long ago did we, as humans, evolve? to start being able to accept drinking milk from from other animals do, do we know how long ago do we have any idea how long ago it was it's it's a it's thousands of years uh, yeah I, 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 that, that, I would have said the same thing <laughs> i know that's <laughs> quite general years. but that's, it's that's, thousands, <laughs> more than a thousand years i mean recorded more. history pretty much the beginning of recorded history has a recording of of us drinking milk you know, as part of our source of nutrition, it was a way of turning grassy land into something we can consume. You know, you had a cow, you could yeah. suddenly could get food off the land without having to do any farming, any arable work whatsoever. You just took milk from a, from yak, buffalo, cow, whatever you had, whatever it was. Well, it, yeah, in fact, in fact, it used to be that, that, you know, what would happen is you'd have a cow, you wouldn't kill the cow to eat it because then you'd be, you, you'd be, you'd be missing out on the milk production. So milking cows that were dairy cows that were hand milked you know for a family would last would live for 15 to 20 years mm. and then when the cow was too old to milk then that's when you'd kill the cow and then you'd eat it nowadays with intensive farming you know these cows these cows barely live to two really yeah because they I just no milk, they milk the living daylights out of them and before the oh, cow can't produce anymore no well, they, and yeah. bef- and before cows, I mean, goats and sheep were domesticated before cattle. So you yes, know, they we, were. We've been drinking milk from those animals for, I mean, literally ten, twelve thousand years. And, and actually, funny enough, goats and sheep milk, certainly goats milk, is more digestible for many people because the the shape of the, the the proteins are different. So you don't, and I don't think I'm not sure. But James, you might have to check on this because I might just open my mouth and talk. Nonsense, which would be a unheard never, of thing. Never, disgraceful. <laughs> never. Um, I think that I know the protein. The protein molecules are a different shape, but I don't know if um, a, lac- a lactose. If you have a lactose intolerance, I'm not sure if it always applies to goat's milk. I think I don't think it always applies to it. I'm curious, Heston. In your you you end up going down these these rabbit holes in your in your culinary sort of past with various different things are there any milk rabbit holes you went down at any point where you were exploring different uses for it in cooking and things you used it for well yeah i mean one of the one of the one of the um first ones that come to mind or the 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 most sort of powerful ones was the origins of bacon and egg ice cream because Okay, there was the, the actual making of the ice, ice cream and the pasteurization of the milk. So, so I found that, that, that a lot of vanilla ice creams in classical French cooking tasted of eggy. And normally you make a custard, you put eggs, sugar and milk, cook it together until it's thick enough, stirring it thick enough to coat the back of a spoon, which is about a wooden spoon. It was about 82 to 85 degrees. However, egg yolks thicken in about mid-70s, 72 plus. So 
although it thickens the custard to coat thick enough to coat the back of a spoon in fact it looks smooth but it's not the proteins have started scrambling but they're just, you, they're too small for you to actually notice it <clears throat> now so then i decided that well, then that 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 made the proteins collapse so you got burst of eggy flavor made it taste too eggy so i reduced the cooking temperature for the milk down to 68 degrees but for pasteurization you have to hold it longer it's time temperature to pasteurize it anyway there's that side of the, of, for the, with the milk. But then while I was working on the bacon and egg ice cream, so doing breakfast as a dessert, I was making a parsnip puree for some sweetbreads, um, as you do. They were cooked in hay with cockles. And the parsnip puree, so I'd, I'd cook the parsnips in milk, which is, you know, you, you, when you make a gratin dauphinoise, it's, it's a great, I'll come, I'll, I'll, I'll mention this t- little tip afterwards. But the, cook the par- you, you cook the potatoes in milk. But cook the parsnips in milk to make the puree. Then I took the parsnips out, put them in a liquidizer. And then I was going to pour the milk that I cooked them in to, until I'd had the right texture. So a little bit of liquid into the liquidizer, a bit more, a bit more. But I, before I poured it in, I wanted to taste the milk um, just to see how strong it was. Anyway, I tasted this milk. And it was like one of those back to the future moments or ratatouille moment for me. It took me straight back to childhood and the milk in the bottom of a cereal bowl. You know, when you finish like Frosties or something, when you finish the cereal, that milk is thickened with the starch and the sugar from the cereal. And that last couple of spoonfuls of that milk, I loved it. So then that's where the idea for making parsnip cereal came from. So I used the parsnip milk and then we cooked parsnips and then sliced them very thin and made them look like they were cornflakes. So we made this cereal milk. Anyway, that (laughs) sparked off a whole craze in America. And I think there was a restaurant, um, there was a restaurant or a couple of restaurants that opened up, um, basically milk ice cream bars. So I'm sorry, cereal milk ice cream bars. Really? So you'd make, you'd make, I don't know, Cocoa Pops or Cheerios, and then you'd use that milk to make the ice cream. So that, 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 was, a, that was a ratatouille, back to the future, rabbit hole moment that I can remember with, with, with milk. Another one, it was a, more of a childhood memory, which was mid-morning at school. So I would have been about, I don't know, seven or eight. I remember, and this is even in the summer, I went to this school called Hamden Gurney off the Edgware Road, and we'd have a break, a milk break, and in, in, a, in an orange plastic carton, there were these little glass bottles of milk mm. with a little I silver top. Those. I remember we had those? little uh, cardboard ones. Oh, they, they, then they went to triangular cardboard ones. But yeah. at first it was glass, and, and, and I just remember the milk was really warm. Just, it was just under the stairs. It was really warm. And there's something very mucusy about warm milk. Oh, yeah. So there, it's, not, yeah, there's it's, it's funny, isn't it? Memory. Once it gets to... I remember once as a kid, I used to be always thirsty and always want... And I, and I had a bright idea once. We were going out for the day and I had a, a Capri Sun packet, which I'd finished the Capri Sun out of. Yeah. I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to put some milk in there and carry that with me like a sort of flask. And then I could drink yeah. milk any time I like. And then about three hours later on a warm summer's day, I opened up a Capri Sun thing and drank warm milk that had been mixed with orange juice for the past three hours <laughs> in the heat. It was so bad. How was that's that a, for you? That's, that's a syllabub, my friend. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> 
Curdle Town. It was very, very unpleasant experience. I came across something earlier when I was looking up about these wilts. I wanted to bring up with you, Heston. But deep buried within the, the sort of the fat duck book are lots of little nuggets of, of interesting things. And you make a reference to, to having a mashed up bananas and milk. I came across as something. Oh my that, God! Yeah, but was, was, yes. was something, and I wondered what, where that. Because I, I, you know, what, what was that? Something you had as a kid? Was that? Is my, that yeah, as a kid, my mum would have it every now and then. Well, they probably at least once a week actually. Which is bananas. <clears throat> you put a banana. It's a it's very, um, quite a laboriously technical process. You peel a banana, put it in a bowl, <laughs> take a fork, <laughs> squash it up. Sprinkle some brown sugar over it and pour some milk in the bowl, and it was. But it was, and it was creatively called bananas and milk mashed up. Oh, no, you could brand it better than that. Give it a good name, and it's suddenly magical. And I think, for some reason, I always associate it with a joke. I must have been eating it at the time. My dad said, "What's yellow and dangerous? Shark infested custard." But it had nothing to do with bananas and milk. But I just, for some reason, it's. I make the connection. I also, I mean. There's, I mean, other uses of milk, you know, if you go on, on um, for example, a lot of people, well, probably many, many more people know now, but sort of maybe 10, 15 years ago, a lot of people didn't realise that, that the authentic bolognese has no red wine in it. It's white wine and milk. What? And tomatoes and carrots. White wine and milk. And, 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 and the milk would start to, a bit like a syllabub, would start to curdle, and then, but then you'd cook it out for a long time. Mm. It's delicious. Wow. I mean, that's classic. That, that's the, the original classic ragu bolognese. If anyone's interested and, and, and are surprised to hear this, try it. But you just need to cook it. You cook it as um, when you put the white, you put the, the wine in and re- reduce it. Then you put the milk in, cook a bit with the tomatoes. And then the, the, the acid will start to curdle, look a bit strange. But as you just continue to cook it, and you get this very rich, delicious, rich mixture. Um, and then, oh, and then there's uh, skimmed milk powder, useful stroke valuable in ice cream making. Really? Because yeah, when you one of the things with ice creams is you don't want the ice crystals to spread. It gets it gets um, you know grainy, icy. So in order to slow down the spreading of the ice crystals, there's various things you can do. You can put emulsifiers in and stuff like that, but. Uh, and, and glucose but that tends to affect the texture and, and for me affect the fl- affect the flavor and I, I don't really i'm not overly um fanatical about using things like emulsifiers and stuff although you know egg yolks are an, an, an emulsifier but you know what i mean but there's a thing called msnf which is milk solids non-fat and it's a bit like dry matter in potatoes what is dry matter well it's everything that isn't water in potatoes so what milk solids non-fat so you get milks non-fatty milk solids you know when you make bernoisette you put butter in a pan Mm. and it starts to bubble you get all the little lumpy bits the bits that that color they're 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 the non-fatty milk solids okay Um, and so they but those milk solids non-fat you need a certain percentage of milk solid msnf in your ice cream mix if you want to keep the the smoothness so for example let's say you are you, you and there's a formula there's a brilliant book um um an old friend of mine called robin weir uh, wrote a book called years ago called ices um and 
in the back of it, he had a, a, um, a glossy or a lexicon, just two, two, two to three pages about why do you put cream and eggs and why do you put these things in ice cream? And you need a certain fat content, but you need the, M, the milk solids non-fat are very important. And there's a little formula to work out, you know, if I put X amount of eggs or X amount of milk or whipping cream or double cream, I need to get to roughly, say, 16% milk solids non-fat. So if you're, let's say you're 5% short, which will mean your ice cream won't stay smooth, it will go icy. If you need um, another, I don't know, 10 grams, or let's say if you need another 100 grams of milk solids non-fat, cream is about 27% milk solids non-fat. So you have to put four times 100 grams, you have to put 400 mil, 400 grams of cream just to get the MSNF up. Wow. Whereas if you buy skimmed milk powder from the supermarket, it's 97% MSNF, but it doesn't add that extra fattiness to it. So yeah. it's a really useful tool in, in, in ice cream making. And another technique, and I didn't come back to the Dauphinois yet, but another technique is, uh, which is brilliant to use skim milk powder. If you want to make a stock and you want to brown your meat, so you're making a chicken stock, sprinkle skimmed milk powder over the chicken legs before you roast them. Because there's a thing called the Maillard reaction, which um, is when proteins and carbohydrates react under heat to form new compounds. And those new compounds will then come back and continue to react with the proteins and carbohydrates. And the Maillard reaction is basically the browning process. So what, what does skim milk powder have? It's nearly all proteins and carbohydrates because it's got hardly any fat in it. So it encourage that reaction more yeah, to happen. Yeah, it doesn't. People, it doesn't taste milky. It just encourages that reaction. Is this the same stuff? You know, when you get those those um, little sachets in, in nasty hotels, so the dried milk. Is that the same stuff? Uh, no, no. So what, I don't, what is that? That's a good question. I think James. Is that is that, is that <laughs> like a powdered sachet you're talking about, or is it like yeah? Little, when you go to a hotel, and they don't have they don't have milk no they normally they have carnation my gran yeah. it's called carnation it was i mean that's one one um brand my gran always used to have carnation in a coffee yeah it's yeah. like a jar of it you could get a spoonful yeah. of it and put it in and, and it's hmm. not i'm sure there's it doesn't taste like milk they're having quite a lot of american it won't just be skim milk powder no there might there'll be other things in it yeah they do actually have it, it it's always in sachets in american hotel rooms yeah they don't yeah. seem to and they but don't as a powder we, i've never seen as this, a powder so this is this is new to be Look up, have a look at Carnation. Actually, I'm staying in a lower level hotel. Oh, 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 oh. Like no, it's called... <laughs> this no, is not fancy. No, 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 no. This is motel level. Yeah, this, is, is, this um, is where we've stayed. <laughs> coffee mate, isn't it? Oh, yeah, oh yes. yeah, of course I know coffee mate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Same okay. as Carnation. I don't, but I don't know what's in it. It won't just be milk powder. It mu- no. Certainly not. And wouldn't it be just a kind of... I mean, obviously you're talking about condensed milk and, and these things. These are... These are dehydrated versions of milk aren't they that last a bit longer that can yeah but i'm sure that i'm gonna fridge i'm gonna look it up we're googling now i'm I'm googling because the whole covid situation my wife stockpiled significant volumes of um long life milk as well uht Mm. milk which i I hate the taste of on cereal but i've actually started quite liking using in things like coffee and stuff because it's just slightly sweeter and, and thicker then there's something about it that works quite nicely when you have it warm. I don't know what well, it is. Well, sometimes, it's, I mean, you know, evaporated milk and condensed milk are, are, are long life. It's UHT, which is ultra heat treated. And they do have a different flavour. Yeah, they have a different flavour. What is evaporated milk? I've never understood that. It feels like an old person. Like, what is evaporated milk? 
you cook it under pressure so the temperature goes up but you no know, you but you have no condensed is under is more under pressure i think evaporated you just cook it you you evaporate it basically and you condense it so in a can so it's like a canned yeah. It's canned, yes. Uh, who made that? I can see the I can see the can. Well, Nestle, red, red and ne- white. Nestle famously is it do Nestle? The, do, a, do a condensed milk. Yeah, evaporated condensed milk, kind of roughly the same kind of thing. I mean, as far as I'm. Oh aware. my god! I, I've just found coffee, mate. This is just a starter for ten. So you asked about skim milk powder? No, 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 no. Corn syrup solids, hydrogenated vegetable oil, coconut and or palm kernel and or soybean and less than 2% of sodium cassonate, which is a milk derivative, mono and and glycerides, dipotassium phosphate, sodium aluminosolicate, (laughs) natural and artificial flavor, anato color. Um, and then the anus is not a source of lactose. Yes. Wow. That's clearly and not a well, source of any kind of milk by the sound of things. Well, it's for one thing missing in it, isn't it? It's lactose. Whereas, I guess, yeah, condensed yeah, and evaporated yeah. milks are, are, are concentrated lactose. That's what you're getting there. You're getting the, the concentrated mm. milk flavour, which is probably why you... It's weird. It tastes so bad if they put that much stuff in it. You think they make a bit more effort to make it taste nice? It's, it, I don't I know. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've it's ever had it. It's almost like they just looked around the office and thought, what could we put in here? <laughs> if you look at evaporated or condensed milk is, in India that's kulfi ice cream which is which is delicious I mean it's rich is it really so that's what gives it a difference it's, it's delicious and yeah it's lovely it feel, it's very different to ice cream isn't it it's when you think you're having an ice cream and you have that it feels yeah. very it's, it's quite unexpected yes I mean it's much it's much more dense uh, Dauphinoise potatoes oh uh, yes Dauphinoise potatoes so, so I, I'm, I love um, Dauphinoise, gra- potato gratins. All you, what you do, peel the potatoes, slice them, don't wash them. Unlike the you, triple cooked chips where you want to get rid of the starch, have, a, have a, your pan of milk, slice the potatoes into the milk, then, uh, then, then put that on the heat, in the heat. And before you do it, actually, you know sometimes when you want to boil milk, you end up with this sort of skin on the bottom of the pan that can burn. Well, to get rid of it, just put just put pour some water into the pan, cold water, before you put anything in it, and then tip it upside down and then pour the milk in. That will just help prevent the skin from forming. So do that, then put your potatoes in there, maybe a um, um, garlic clove pureed up and well, bef- and then and then bring the milk to a gentle simmer, and the starch in the potatoes will then thicken the milk. Then you can add some cream, some butter, some nutmeg, a bit of salt, a bit of pepper, and then mm. pour it into your gratin dish, and then just bake it and Ooh. let it set, and then stick it under the grill. That's oh, a re- that's a recipe for a cold, miserable day in England. Oh you, yeah, isn't it? cream <laughs> when you when you we cut through the potatoes with a spoon, and they're all creamy and oh. It's one of those dishes that when you're eating it, you know just how bad it is for you as well when you're eating it. Your body's like, yeah, this is not good for me, but I don't care. It's a Sunday <laughs> lunch. Oh, yes. That is fantastic. And the uh, the skin that forms on milk. Yes. What is happening then? And <clears throat> when is the time that it forms? Uh, you heat, I mean, so it, it's, the, it's eva- the milk evaporating and the proteins as the milk evaporates, the protein's condensing or, 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 or um, drying on the top. And in fact, I remember years ago, I'm sure it's, the history is in many of this in many countries, but Japan has a long history of soy milk skin. And I remember going with um, 
a group of five of us, we were doing a, a talk on umami in Kyoto. Uh, do you know Kyoto? Do you know where, where Tokyo, Tokyo apparently, I don't know if this is true or not, but the emperor at the time, I don't know how many hundreds of years ago, wanted to move the capital from Kyoto to another place which became Tokyo. So uh, in Western language, he, it, Tokyo is an anagram of Kyoto. Really? That's what I heard. Now, it could be a coincidence. Put that down. Sometimes some of these, um, some of these really interesting, useful, useless pieces of information, you don't really, it's a bit like a magic trick. It's less relevant whether they're actually real or not. It's if you get the excitement from the possibility it could be true. <laughs> um, so we went to Kyoto and Kyoto's, uh, very, it's very interesting because because the pro- they've had so, so many earthquakes over the years. Each time they rebuilt parts of Kyoto, they built it with earthquake-resistant buildings, and then obviously another earthquake came along, and the technology for earthquake-resistant buildings got got better and better. And there was a square there with very modern buildings that were very earthquake-resistant. Somehow, along the line of this one side of the square, in the middle of it, there was a barn that hadn't obviously been knocked down by. The earthquake. And in this barn, there was a guy who was 80-something in a string vest on, um, sort of khaki green trousers and wellies. And you imagine there's this rectangular room with a barn roof. Um, and then there were three brick troughs, about, uh, I would say, mm, 10 metres in length, each, each one, each trough, and about... Um, I don't know, a metre, three, four foot high. And in those troughs were water, were, were, were soy milk. So they took the soybeans and, they, and they, they, they soaked them in water and then they got them, they, then they blitzed them and they put the soy milk uh, in these troughs. And underneath the, the troughs, there was a little space where they had a fire. So they would heat the milk up to about 60 degrees. And then... The, Imagine this 10 meter long trough that was probably about um, I don't know, two, three foot wide would have a skin on top. And then above the troughs, there was like, um, you know, imagine a wooden, the same length as a trough, a, a plate rack. Right. But instead of plates, there were skewers on the racks. So he'd pick up two skewers, imagine two chopsticks, put it on the surface of the milk, but it would touch the skin. So he'd pick up a, a, a sort of rectangle or a square of soy milk skin and then he'd take these two chopsticks, or they were longer, the skewers, and then insert them in the holes above the racks. So it was like hanging up sheets. What do you use that for then? Well, then they cut them into like noodles and then they package them in very fancy boxes with, with sort of, you had these cellophane sort of covers so you could see. It's almost, you know, very, almost... Um, yeah, they're very prized and valued. And then you just rehydrate them a bit. So you'd have a, um, you might have a, put them on a dessert or you might put them on a savory mousse and they'd be, and they'd soften again. You'd rehydrate them. So, and you can also with, with milk skin, you can do it with, you can do it with um, normal milk. It's just get the temperature right. It's about 60. You get the skin of the milk, which I used to not like as a kid at all. But no, then if I you hated take it. this, gradually get the temperature right. You can get it thick enough. You dry it. And then you can fry it like a pancake. Never. Uh, yeah, and then crisp it up as well. Is it good? Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, very That's nice. funny, isn't it? The thing you hate as a kid, you end yeah. up liking as an adult. Because I used yeah, to hate it when you got really stuck around the spoon. Oh, you the spoon. And, 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 and you didn't realise it. And then round your top lip. 
Oh, yeah. It would just, <laughs> just stick on your lip. Yeah, I never liked it. I could see the saucepan as well. My mum would cook it in my head. Really nasty sort of 70s <laughs> saucepan. I could see that skin. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I haven't seen skin on a milk for years now. Curious that chap's doing that as well. What a way to make a living. And I presume oh, he could fu- just keep oh, boiling it over and over he'd, again. He'd done it for years. The funny thing was that we're looking at him going, wow, isn't this amazing? And you could see him looking at us thinking, what are these strange looking people? What are they doing here? I've so done the same thing for the last 50 years. What, <laughs> what, what, I mean, what on earth? We've got there. I, I, it felt like, and that might be my own issues, felt like he thought that we, we thought we were looking at a monkey in a cage. But yeah, it was just exactly. amazing seeing this craftsman doing this. Mm. And he did it in this fluidity. He's almost like a, you know, like a ballerina moving around. It was incredible. Gosh, that's amazing. Uh, well, we're, we, are, we are rolling our way towards the end of our milk episode. Were there any other areas that we wanted to touch on? Because we've delved deep into the sort of science of it today. And this has been quite a technical podcast, but I've been fascinated mm. with all the things. All I was going to add, exploring. Hester mentioned earlier about goat's milk and, and lactose. And I just wondered if there's yes. any, any listeners who, who are out there who have a lactose intolerance. I'd, I'd, I'd say try goat's milk with, with caution. It does have a, a, a fairly high percentage of lactose not as high as as cow milk and, and other kinds of milk but it does have lactose in so if you are intolerant and you know you are I mean probably goat's milk will also create some kind of response but have an average yeah because it's a bit bit like gluten you know people say that they're gluten intolerance in fact I think a lot of the gluten intolerance it comes from the state of the flour that we buy it's been so overly farmed genetically modified that a lot of we we don't know the origin of our flour, and and I think that gets also confused with gluten intolerance. I mean, they're both they're both uncomfortable reactions to something that our bodies aren't really necessarily designed to to deal with. So with the milk, yes, ha, I mean goat's milk obviously does have an extra added difference that you might not like it because it, the taste is very different to cow's milk, but. If if you're prepared to have a have a try and see, but certainly the pro, I know the protein, the shape of the proteins are different, so it might when you think you have a lactose intolerance, it might not be lactose, but you might associate it with lactose. Mm. But I agree with James. I'm not. Please don't. Uh, if if in doubt, leave it out. <laughs> <laughs> and and also leaving you the thought that uh, in our area around here, they're bringing the milkman back. I've seen him trundling around. Mm, he doesn't we, have quite that exciting little electric truck anymore. But he, yeah, trundling around, leaving milk outside the doors in little glass jars, which feels ah, very right, I remember the little rolled up notes. You'd leave the note in the bottle. That's right. No you milk this that? week, please. Yeah. <laughs> you can always tell somebody Jack, died. I remember you got me. You got me on a on a milk float going round Pudding Lane. Remember. Driving a oh. milk float, crying out really? for... I, why? Curry. It was an opportunity for me to make a tit of myself. <laughs> That's generally the uh, theme, wasn't it? it? Yeah, generally. It was either put you in a funny hat or in a weird vehicle. And we were yeah, or a donkey there. or something. Oh, really? I remember. <laughs> and, and actually, for, just the last thing I'll say is, is we, uh, we've, we've spoken about this in an earlier podcast, but, you know, counting sheep, you know, you've touched on malted milk, powdered milk, milk powder. There's something very sort of baby-like about the whole thing and in fact counting sheep you know that whole dish really was based was based around around that all the different elements of um, this is one of your of, fat of duck milk. dishes that's out at the moment isn't it or was yeah when the restaurant and it, was it was called counting sheep because it's based on the, the idiom of you know of counting sheep before you go getting ready to go to sleep so you know the floating pillow with the little meringues and the milk ice cream in it and then there's got this there's there's 
dried there's some crystallized caramelized dried milk and dried yogurt sprinkle onto the plate and you know lots of other lots of other sort of milk based um elements of the dish and we serve it with a malted milk drink so there is this association with milk milk and bedtime i mean even babies yeah, and safety you know, and, and comfort and kids yeah it's very yeah. it's very it's still got it's fundamental to to our existence really and a warm, comforting thing. Well, thank you, Heston. Um, we will say again that we have an exciting guest coming on next week, Harold McGee. So do tune into that, our first guest and someone who's hugely important to Heston and the wider culinary world, who will be talking to us all about his findings, but also his new book, which is going to be very exciting. So do yes. tune in for I that. might get in to ask him about um, the lower camouflage tones, ar- aromatic tones of a fragrant strawberry lurking beneath Ooh. are some aromas that we would find in regions of our body that we would maybe not want to associate with the perfumed strawberry. So to be put off strawberries for the rest of your life, do tune in next week. In poor the Howard, meantime... Poor Harold's going to have to answer that question now. <laughs> Please do get in touch at Heston's Podcast on Instagram and Heston's Podcast at gmail.com. And also, if you get a chance, please pop onto iTunes or wherever you do get your podcasts from and rate and subscribe to us because that would be lovely. But for this week in our milk-covered podcast and journey to the centre of all things milky, Heston, thank you ever so much. Thank you, chaps. <laughs>